Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. So, obedience is like a tricky word, right? Because obeying isn't always something that we... I'll speak for myself. Obeying isn't something, always something that I want to do, even if it's something that I feel like I should do. When I think about obedience, I think about being corrected, and I've been corrected quite a bit in my life. And let me tell you, it's never really fun. It's not really a fun thing. I think obedience implies that there's someone in power and authority over me, and they're telling me what they think I should do, and I have to trust that. So I don't love obedience. It's like not my favorite. And those in the room who've known me for any length of time know that it's unlike me to listen to what someone else wants me to do, especially if it's not what I want to do. And as true as that is today, I think it was probably even um, a little more true as I was growing up. Students, if your parents are in the room, now is not the time to make eye contact. Parents just don't get it. You know, they just don't get it. I'm 26, and my parents still don't get it. So we all know that. Parents, if your parents are in the room, don't look at them, because they still probably don't get it. Obeying my parents wasn't always my strong suit, and I'm trying not to make eye contact with my parents, because they're also in the room. It wasn't, like, the best way to be, but it was just the way that I was. You get what I'm saying, right? So when I think back to my most disobedient self as a child, I think back to a time when me and my sister were like 10 and 12. Um, And the thing is, my sister was the better of the two of us, and she was way more trustworthy than I was, and so she really balanced me out. So when we were together, like, we were pretty trustworthy, but there was this one night, we were playing in the basement, and our basement was really fun because it was unfinished. The floor was concrete, we could like rollerblade and run around and not worry about someone messing anything up. So this one night, um, we're in the basement, we're playing. My parents are in bed, um, and they're really good parents. So I'm sure they gave us some sort of like rules, like be kind, don't hurt each other, don't yell, go to bed at a decent time, right? Um, And they trusted us to be good sisters, and usually we lived up to that. But this particular night, our game of choice was darts. We had a dartboard in the basement, and I don't think my parents were like, hey, while we're sleeping, go downstairs and play darts when you're 10 and 12. But we did, and we were being careful, um, and we were having a good time. I actually don't remember, like, all the details of the story. My sister had to reinform me this week, but I do remember, like, having a good time and being safe, right? But there was a point where my sister started to tease me about how bad my aim was, and I was stubborn, I didn't love obedience, but I also, like, really, really hated being teased. And I I still hate it. Like, I just can't handle when someone makes fun of me. Like, I can dish it out all day long, but I just can't take it. And so, my parents, they had these expectations of us, even if they weren't said. The expectations were always, like, be nice to each other. Like, your being nice to each other is obedient. That's honoring us as your parents. And so... That particular night, we were doing that. We were being obedient. 
But then I was like, I was being obedient until I wasn't. There was a shift that happened, and it happened pretty fast. But let me pause the story and ask you if you've ever been in a situation where your one bad decision ruined everyone's fun. Because that's what happened that night. My one bad decision ruined everyone's fun because I couldn't handle the teasing. I just couldn't take it. I freaked out. I picked up a dart, and I acted like I was going to throw it at my sister. I just acted like it. But then she ran away, continuing to tease me. And so at some point, I shifted from acting like I was going to throw the dart to wanting to throw the dart at her. And so I, I held it. I remember this part. I held it up, and I just, something happened, and I launched it at her. And my aim gets a lot better when my target's moving, I think, because I nailed her on the back really hard with a dart. You see what I'm saying? Obedience to disobedience. But that's not all. There's more to the story. My sister runs upstairs to tell on me, as she should, wakes up my parents, tells them that I've hit her on the back with a dart, and I tried to lie. I was like, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Um, The well on her back is not there. That wasn't me. I didn't do it. I lied. And obviously my parents didn't believe me because she had a dart in her hand and a well on her back. And I, like, you just can't do that. It was me. Um, And so the point is I really, really messed up that night. I was being obedient until I got overwhelmed by the situation around me. I couldn't handle the teasing, so I had to fight back, right? I had to. I couldn't handle it. And then I saw myself getting into trouble because I'd hit her with the dart, and I had to fight back by lying my way out of it. I had to fix the situation myself and not get in trouble, which obviously just led to more disobedience and more consequence. I tell you this story this morning because I think we can actually all relate. So this morning, it is true, we're celebrating students. We can, we can celebrate them. Students, we love you. We're glad you're in the room. But I think back to where I was when I was a student, sitting in these exact same seats. And I, I thought about what was it that I needed to know when I was a student. And I think I needed to know that walking in obedience with the Lord is sometimes tricky. It's sometimes imperfect and hard but that one wrong move doesn't have to take us out. Because walking um, in obedience with the Lord sometimes looks like me with the dart, right? We're doing the right thing. We're doing the good thing until we're just not. There's a shift that happens, right? There's a shift that happens and one minute we're good and the next minute we're not. And we don't know how we got there. We don't know how the shift happens, but we experience the shift and things are different. And I think, I know that the shift happens because of our circumstance, right? Students, maybe that looks like um, your grades or juggling extracurriculars with schoolwork, with a job, or relationships, friendships. Families, it looks like dealing with families and having a job and experiencing loss and heartache and brokenness. But the shift is often a result of that, of our circumstance. And I I think that sometimes when we experience the hardships, when we experience the rough circumstance that our focus shifts over to self-preservation mode, we try to adjust to what's going on around us and we lose focus of the Lord, right? But this isn't just for students, right? 
This is, this is really something that we probably all deal with. We probably all struggle with because we're human. Because we're human, we experience the shift. And let's go back to the darts for just a minute. The good news is that me and my sister made it through the dart incident and probably a lot of incidents like it. She's actually like my best friend. And so we'll often be sitting down and she'll ask me, Olivia, what is the Lord teaching you in this season? And if I'm being honest with you, my answer is usually the same. I usually say, Sydney, I think, I think that the Lord is calling me into deeper trust and deeper obedience. And for me, I just don't see that going anywhere. But here is what I'm learning as the Lord is challenging me and stretching me. I believe that our obedience, no matter how messy or imperfect or tricky it gets, our obedience, when our hearts are fixed on him, will always be used for his glory, always. Students in the room, um, we are celebrating you specifically today, so let me talk to you for just a minute. The biggest mistake that you could make today is leaving the room thinking that your obedience to the Lord is insignificant. The biggest mistake that you could make today is thinking that your obedience to the Lord will be overlooked because of your age or your circumstance or your home life or your grades or anything else. God will use your obedience for his glory. Hear me when I say that nothing, absolutely nothing can disqualify you for making an impact if you're walking with the Lord, if your eyes are fixed on him. But because I know that obedience is messy, we're going to use the story of Peter in Matthew 14 to help us know how to navigate our faith when our circumstance just becomes too much. And a lot of you are probably familiar with the story that we're going to, but spoiler alert, it's the story of Jesus walking on the water. But I want to spend just a minute setting up the context of the story so that we get a fuller understanding of what's really going on. So this particular story that we're going to jump into happens right in the height of Jesus' ministry. He's teaching, he's traveling with his disciples, he's performing miracles. And right before the story of Jesus walking on the water that we're going to be in, he performs, in my opinion, one of the most wildest miracles. Now I know that every time Jesus works and moves in scripture that it is Amazing, astounding, but this one gets me. This story is a story of Jesus feeding the masses with five loaves of bread and two fish. The text tells us that he feeds 5,000 people with this small five loaves and two fish, but it says 5,000 people plus the women and children. So some people believe that there are as many as 20,000 people in the crowd that day, all fed, I'll say it again, with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus multiplied this food so much so that there was leftovers afterwards, right? So, like I said, whenever we see Jesus move, it's great. But this story gets me. It blows me away every time. So our story for today picks up literally hours after this has happened. And that's going to be important for us. But before we keep going, can you, for just a minute, think about a time when you've been on what we like to call the mountaintop in youth ministry? The mountaintop for youth ministry sometimes happens after a retreat or a camp when we've experienced the power and the presence of the Lord in a mighty way. We experience this spiritual high, right? And we don't 
read explicitly how the disciples responded to the feeding of the 5,000 plus, but when I imagine myself into the story, which I like to do often, I imagine that the disciples would have been on the mountaintop of all mountaintops, right? Because they've just experienced something incredible. In the mountaintop, it's great. It renews our faith. It allows us to crave the Holy Spirit, and it makes obedience to the Lord exciting. So as we read the story for this morning, I would invite you to keep that in mind, that the disciples literally hours before we read about what they experienced, they, they have just witnessed Jesus do the impossible. So knowing what we know, let's dive into our passage starting in Matthew 14, verse 22. It says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So I just want to pause one more time and and figure out what's really going on here because we see Jesus send his disciples away, and they're going into an impending storm. We know that they're going to be in a bit of a situation. So this word buffeted is basanizo, I believe, in the Greek. Um, If that's wrong, you can tell me later, but I think that's how you say it. Um, But it translates directly as tormented or tortured. So the disciples, they're not in a boat in the middle of like a summer shower. They are in a wild and crazy and dangerous storm. They are being tormented by the wind and tortured by the waves. And these men, they're fishermen. So they're likely in a small fishing boat, not fancy or protective. They know the danger that they're in. They know the danger of being on the water in the middle of a storm. They're not naive to the circumstance that faces them, right? So let's keep going with verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he says. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, it's easy for me to read over this passage and feel like Peter has really messed up. He blew it. When you glaze over this passage without really looking into the details, it's easy to feel like Peter failed and Jesus was mad. At least, that's how I feel, right? But... Then there are a couple of things I feel like the Lord has shown me as I've studied this passage. A couple of things that have forced my perspective to shift. One was the context in which we read the story. When I realized that Peter has just witnessed Jesus doing the impossible, I realized that Peter probably has fresh faith. He's probably excited to be in the presence of the Lord. That changes things for me. And then when I read this story, I generally have read it with Jesus having this tone of like, harsh and and stern in nature, right? But that's also shifted for me. And so we're going to dive into that in just a minute. 
but I think for now there are a couple of guiding points that I think will help us better understand how much value this particular story has for us as we're talking about faith and trust and obedience. I think it will be encouraging to you. So our first guiding point today is that obedience is messy. We've already acknowledged that obedience is hard, right? If you've read this story before, I think it's pretty common to give most of our attention to the part where Peter messes up. Like he's right in front of Jesus and he still sinks. Jesus was standing right there. How did Peter get it so wrong? I'm often discouraged, frustrated by his lack of faith. Or I was for a long time. But I think that when our focus is there, we miss a really, really, really important part of this story. We miss Peter's courageous obedience. Remember in our text that Peter wasn't even sure that this person on the water was Jesus. He thought it was a ghost, right? Also, remember that he is in the midst of a crazy storm on the water. He knows the dangers of the storm. So he must know how dangerous it is to step out of the boat onto the water in the middle of a storm. It's dangerous to be in the boat. Getting out of the boat is crazy, right? But we see his faith tell him that the person on the water is Jesus. And we see his obedience calling him to take a step out of the boat onto the water. Listen, I feel like we've all been in a similar situation, not like walking on the water with Jesus probably, but in a similar situation. For me, it's like I'm standing on the diving board of my pool, my grandparents' pool growing up, and I want to jump in, but I I can't. I can't jump in. It's too scary. There's someone in the water who's like, I'll catch you. Come on. I know. Like, I'll be here. Just let me catch you. And I I trust they're going to catch me. I actually know they're going to catch me because, because I trust them, but I still hesitate. I can't make the jump because I'm scared, right? But the thing is, we don't see Peter hesitate here. What we see is Jesus telling him to come onto the water, and the next thing we know, Peter's taking the step out of the boat onto the water. Peter has faith, right? We know that. We know that he's seen the Lord do amazing things. Peter believes it's Jesus who's calling him And Peter has obedience. So what's the problem? What happened to Peter? We read in verse 30 that Peter saw the wind. In the midst of his obedience to the Lord, Peter got distracted, right? His circumstance just became too much. He got overwhelmed, afraid. He put his focus on what was happening around him rather than keeping his focus on who was in front of him. You see, Peter, he didn't have an obedience problem. He had a distraction problem. His problem was never whether or not he had the courage to obey. He did that. He made the hard decision to do the seemingly crazy thing that Jesus asked him to do. I'm wondering if we've all been in a place where what the Lord is asking us just feels like too much. It seems like more than we can handle on our own. And even if we take that first step of obedience, the waves still come crashing in. The wind is still strong, and sometimes we still feel like we've started to sink. So have you been in a really good place until all of a sudden you weren't? Let me ask you a few questions. What did you do? 
How did you get back to that good place? Or are you still sinking? Where are you at in the story today? Which leads us to our second point, right? Which is we can sink or we can cry out. And maybe you relate to my temptation to go into self-preservation mode when things get tough. I mean, that's like my classic move. When things get hard, my temptation is to fight back. If I start to sink, I want to swim really hard. And I don't know if you've ever tried to swim your way out of a storm, but I can't imagine that it's easy. We read again in our text that when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It did not say that he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, Peter doggy paddled. Or Peter attempted to tread water. Or Peter started swimming as hard as he could back to the boat. Or Peter just gave up. That's not what we read. We read that Peter cried out. You see, he knew the source of his problem. And his problem, like we said, honestly, it wasn't the storm. His problem wasn't the wind and the waves. His problem wasn't even that he was trying to do the impossible by walking on the water. His problem was that the storm had gotten bigger for him than Jesus had gotten, right? But we see Peter address the problem head on when he cries out to Jesus because he knew who could save him. Peter has seen Jesus work. He's seen Jesus move. He knew that Jesus was enough for him. He knew he couldn't fix the problem on his own. He cried out, right? But here's what I think is the hardest thing about Peter's reality. He does the right thing. He cries out to Jesus. He asks for help. But we don't see the storm go away. Peter cries out for help, but he's still in the water, in the storm. Wind is blowing, waves are crashing. But the difference is that he's clinging on to Jesus. His faith in Jesus didn't make his problem go away or his circumstance easier. But his faith in Jesus helped him know where to go when things got tough, when things weren't going the way he'd hoped. Which takes us to our third point, that Jesus will respond. And this is a promise. Jesus didn't let Peter sink. He responded by grabbing a hold of him. Jesus He saved Peter, and he saved him immediately. We don't see Jesus trying to teach him a lesson. We don't see him letting him sink for a minute before he responds. No, we read that Peter cries out for help, and immediately Jesus reaches out his hand to save him. And there are a couple of things that I think are worth noting here. If Jesus was truly able just to reach out and save him, that means that Peter has walked the distance. He's gone the distance in the storm, right? He's made his way to Jesus. He's done the hard part. He's standing in front of him. But even still, he got distracted, overwhelmed, scared, whatever you want to call it, when he was right there. But I want to make the point this morning that Jesus wasn't mad at Peter, but that he used this whole situation as a way to bring glory to himself, to the Father. You see, we read that Jesus catches him, right? And then he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? 
And that's always the way I've read that sentence in my head. But then I think, I know Jesus, right? I know him. I know that Jesus is compassionate. So what if we read that sentence like the kind of person Jesus is? Like he is full of love and compassion. What if we read that sentence like, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Like he was teaching him rather than condemning him. Because I have to believe that if Jesus truly were angry at Peter, we wouldn't see what we see next. And we don't read it explicitly, but what we see next is there. Right? Because the next thing we read is Peter and Jesus getting back in the boat. So that has to mean that they got back to the boat together. They swam or flew or walked on water. It doesn't matter how they got to the boat. All that matters is that we see them getting back in the boat together. And I have to imagine that there were probably some follow-up conversations on the way. And we don't get to know what exactly was said on the way from where they were to the boat. But again, knowing the Jesus that I know, knowing his compassion, knowing his love, I feel like the conversation on the way to the boat had to be full of grace, had to be full of compassion. You see, Peter, he had walked the hard road. We've said that, right? We know that. Literally, his faith and his obedience caused him to say yes to braving the storm, the storm that he knew was dangerous. We see him walk through the storm in complete faith with his eyes on Jesus until they're not. He's focused on Jesus until the storm is too hard. And I'm wondering who can relate to that this morning. Who has been doing the thing that the Lord has asked you to do until you just weren't? Maybe you were walking in faith until you just weren't. Your faith was bigger than the storm until it just wasn't. There is good news in this story today because I do believe we've all been there. The good news is that the storm may not go away immediately, but all we have to do is cry out. And when we do, Jesus, this is the promise. Even if the storm doesn't go away, Jesus will walk the length of the storm with you back to safety if you let him. And the absolute best part of this story for me is that Peter's obedience was messy. It wasn't perfect, right? But when he gets back in the boat with Jesus, those who were still in the boat worshiped Jesus. And we read that it was then that they truly knew that he was the son of God. So just like Peter, your obedience matters. Your faith matters. No matter how messy it is or how imperfect it is or how tricky it is if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus I believe truly that the Lord will use your journey to bring glory to himself so students listening in and others who are listening in my prayer for you today is not that your obedience would look perfect my prayer for you today is not that your faith journey would be perfect but that when the storm becomes too much in your life, that you would let Jesus walk you back to safety, that you would keep your eyes on him because he does care for you. And if you do today, find yourself in the midst of a storm. If you've shifted and you've lost focus, there is no better time to cry out to Jesus. If it feels like you've been sinking, he will walk the length of any storm with you and lead you back to safety with grace 
and compassion. That is the promise. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and grace. That we are never too far gone for your love and your compassion. Thank you that you will continue to walk the length of any storm with us. Thank you that that is the promise. So Lord, today, like I said, my prayer is not for perfect faith or perfect obedience, but it is that we would keep our eyes locked on you. That we would not lose focus, Lord, because you are the goal. You are the prize, Lord. And thank you that you have promised to walk with us. Your love is a gift, Lord. So I pray for anyone in the room today who feels like they're sinking, that they would let you reach out. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you and that you would meet them where they are. Father, you're good and trustworthy and we know that you will do that, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful to us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.